From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling startups. This season, Accord CEO Ross Rich chats with the next generation of startup founders about the ups and downs of signing their first customers while building a repeatable, collaborative sales process. Well, welcome everyone to this next episode of Founders Journey. We're joined by Lisa from Assemble and we'll dive right in and I'll let her introduce herself. Yeah, I'm Lisa. I'm co-founder of Assemble. I co-founded Assemble with my friend Enrique, with whom I worked at Expanse. Awesome. Well, that brings us to our first question here for any of the listeners that have been uh, tuning into the recent episodes. Your founding story. Would love to hear, you know, obviously had an amazing, successful career up till now. What made you decide to kind of jump off and, and start your own thing from scratch? Yeah, well, I, I really like early stage startups. It's kind of the only thing I've ever done in my, my whole career, actually. I joined my first my first job out of undergrad was a, a company called Expanse that I joined pre, pre-VC funding and pre-revenue as a, like one of the first hires. So I was kind of not a stranger to being like terrified by how early stage it was. And then I did the same thing again, basically, when I joined Abnormal Security, joined pre-revenue, um, seed stage, so super early. And both experiences were really fun. I, in general, really enjoyed that kind of finding product market fit and scaling out a go-to-market phase. And then was, you know, obviously heavily kind of focused on cybersecurity there. But in my first company, Expanse, I was a first-time hiring manager, building out a lot of the different functions that weren't engineering. So like product and go-to-market and, you know, roles like that. And uh, Enrique, my co- my now co-founder, was a strategic finance hire who ended up taking over parts of compensation. So he and I worked really closely together on a number of things, one of them being compensation. And I think we were just sort of struck by how difficult it was to manage comp. You know, it was his first operating role after private equity, and it was my first job ever. And I think both of us assumed that compensation was a lot more systematic and well thought out than it was at the average company. <laughs> and it turns out even if you have this sort of perfect model for compensation, a perfect job architecture, a perfect market competitive data and a perfect business process, it's really, really difficult to still drive fair and equitable compensation decisions at a business. And I think this hit mm-hmm. us really hard um, because Enrique and I are both underrepresented minorities in tech. But also we're operators and care a lot about, you know, making sure that businesses are efficient, that they're allocating, you know, dollars correctly to support talent and and doing so in a fair and equitable way. And if we own the process, you know, at a not even a very big company and couldn't even fully guarantee ourselves without a huge amount of work that all these things were operating correctly, how does this work at the average business, you know, at the average bureaucracy, which just led us down this like obsession with you know, how do you manage compensation? It's really sort of the crux of how you build out a business and had a lot of parallels to cyber. So we started Assemble. That's awesome. Yeah, I love when I hear stories where it was really a mix of something you're passionate about, like outside of work, but also you felt that pain and not just, oh, I have an idea or it was tangentially, I was part of this experience once, but that you lived that. You worked together to try to solve this. And And I think what you said really resonates, at least, you know, we're just, you know, I've just started my journey, you know, the last couple of years as hiring manager and leadership trying to build like a diverse and equitable team. And yet, even if you want to, it doesn't feel like there are tools to support you and frameworks that exist and, and, you know, software to help you accomplish that. And it's not just, you know, even if you have that in the back of your head, there are so many biases and there's so many things you kind of need to keep yeah, top of mind that you need that assistance. So that definitely resonates a ton with with my brief experience in the on the hiring and, and comp side. 
Yeah, there's a lot of parallels with cybersecurity, actually, like cybersecurity, you're selling into this like labor market that has no, they have no talent, they can't hire anyone, there's never enough time, there's all these different threats. And in, in HR, especially with comp, you've got a lot of competing priorities across the business, right? You want to be competitive, you want to make sure that you're attracting talent, that you're thinking about retention, that you're fair, that you're equitable, that you're doing all these things. And now it's gotten way harder because people have worked from home in COVID, they're operating across different states, there's all these new compliance requirements around, you know, whether you can pay people fairly, and then even beyond that, like, PII requirements around, you know, storage of sensitive data across mm -hmm. the business, like gender and ethnicity information and things like that. And so it's just like taking the job of HR to try to like manage this incredibly cross-functional business process. It's like very high stakes in, in a number of ways that you look at it and made it much harder, I think, in the last couple of years. Yeah. And then drawing that parallel between what you were doing before mm -hmm. in cybersecurity and, and yeah. today with comp, I'd love to hear how you think about you know, drawing that experience from you mentioned like pre-product market fit, very early stage before to finding and winning your first ten customers at you know something that was you know didn't exist before uh, you and Ricky had the idea. How how did that help you? And, and how do you think about winning those those early customers at a brand new startup? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would be terrified. I, I, actually, I'm still terrified. This is the third time I've done it, and it's like terrifying every time. But I think I learned a lot, you know, having kind of been at two companies that hadn't, you know, closed their first couple of sales first, just trying to figure mm -hmm. out how you get initial interest. And and the playbook for trying to get initial interest is very different for your first like five or ten customers than it is for your first even, you know, million in ARR. Totally. And Enrique and I knew that we wanted to nail that really quickly. You know, it was really important to us to build a product that really customers loved and that was sort of beautiful and easy to use. And mm -hmm. we're also kind of building a platform. And so I think one of the big complications with a product like Assemble is what modules of the platform do you build first and in what order? Yes. And what kind of what are people's willingness to pay? That's like kind of the thing that could kill any early stage company that's going after a platform. And so what we did was be really, really aggressive about a design partnership, like right around the time that we were hiring our first engineers and closing out our seed round, we were also drawing up partnership agreements for design partnerships and trying to talk to as many people as possible. We ended up bringing on, I think, like six or seven design partners, many, I think all of, all of whom are customers today, that typified what we thought was going to be our initial customer profile, walked them through the roadmap and then had these very structured calls where we said, hey, if you if we build this, you know, what would you think about it? And it was it was very detail oriented to the point where we asked them, like, what brands do you most identify with and feel are aspirational? What are UXs that you really like? You know, mm -hmm. really kind of very detail oriented parts of the product as well as roadmap prioritization. And then what that produced was a kind of MVP that people really, really liked using that we were able to go, you know, juice sales with in the last six months or so. That's awesome. And I think a common theme um, from asking this question, it was something that I feel like I didn't know a lot about when I was starting Accord. And I don't know if it's the most commonly talked about, you know, thing you hear a lot about, like, early outbound and building brands and hiring. Mm -hmm. But I think these these key design partnerships, I don't think there's like a clear framework for how to do it, right? Like, what? Yeah. Do you drop contracts or is it more like handshake style things? Like, you know, how far does the partnership go? Are you assuming, is there a mutual understanding that you're going to close them and they're going to pay you something? Or is it like you owe them something because they're coming on the journey with you so early? So I think that's the right way to do it. It's something I wish I knew more about when I was, uh, was getting started, to be honest. So hopefully that's helpful for some of the listeners out there thinking about, uh, you know, the best way to start their company and start growing. 
But the next question around scaling those initial go-to-market um, motions, yeah, how do you think about the difference between working with this small set of customers, you know, really being their partners and having something that maybe, you know, not even the CEO or founder is selling? How do you think about, you know, those first couple hires and deals? I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Okay, just like general go-to-market scaling. Yeah, at the very beginning, right? Like a lot of people have strong opinions around like, you need to start with marketing, right? You need to draw interest first. And some people are like, no, you need to have a CSM first or yeah. you know, an A that's working really closely with them. Curious to get your yeah. thoughts as, you know, having seen this uh, three times. Well, first of all, I don't think you can generalize, right? Like <laughs> at all. I mean, it probably depends on like the business model and then also the strengths and weaknesses of the co-founders and the early team. So like just speaking specifically to, you know, Enrique and I, we... <laughs> We're really deep on a lot of things, like uh, specifically related to go to market, which I think is a strength. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. we had both kind of, me specifically, but Enrique too, had both kind of done the zero to 10 million in ARR, you know, journey a, a, a few times and, and kind of knew what that looked and felt like from a go to market perspective. And so when we were doing early go to market scaling, it was less about that and more about like, how do we make sure that we're really hiring a really strong engineering team that feels really empowered so that we can spend more time than maybe the average founder would actually mm. doing the IC work associated with go to market and marketing. On the other hand, your comment about like a customer success person. I mean, we knew that we wanted to really double down on customer success for two reasons. Number one, very partnership focused as a company and knew that that was going to be a really important part of the product to be like mm -hmm. very, very customer focused, kind of in our ethos from the beginning with the design partnership. And then secondly, because it is a platform approach that we're building out kind of as we're taking it to market, a lot of what we wanted to do is really drive great outcomes for customers, even if the product was sort of coming out as we were doing it. And yeah. so um, really kind of doubling down on making sure that we could drive customer outcomes and partner with people such that they could trust us and really believe that, you know, this could be a multi-year partnership was really important for us. So we, we knew that we wanted to do that. It's funny because every time you solve one problem, like you've got another problem, like right now we've, uh, we brought on these two, <laughs> we brought on these two growth engineers and it's just like absolutely juiced our top of funnel. Like we have no, <laughs> no problem with demand, but what we Amazing. do have a problem with is just like, like literally bodies to take meetings right now, which is, I think something that we weren't quite anticipating. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's an awesome problem to have. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it is a good problem to have, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah, I like your answer, which is, you know, I think as any good answer related to early stage startups, it depends. But I think looking at who is your founding team, who do you have there today and playing to those strengths, right? If you have someone who really enjoys, like I've talked to teams where it's actually been surprised because I'm, I come from like new business sales I couldn't imagine someone else doing that at the very beginning. And we brought on someone who was more focused on the onboarding yeah. success. But I've heard of a lot of people being like, I'm way more comfortable with that. I, I'm really close to product. I'm going to hire someone to help us sign yeah. some new customers. And then I'm just going to own that relationship. And I'm going to do all the onboarding and success. So I think that's a really good point about play to your strengths, right? Yeah. Especially when you're really small and scrappy and look at complementing that, that initial founding team. Awesome. Well, to round it out, my personal favorite question, if you could go back to day one and give yourself a single piece of advice before founding Assemble, what would that be? Maybe I would just like set expectations with myself about how much work would go into like 
wrote things like engineering sourcing. <laughs> like I think I spent this time last year, I think I probably spent like six hours a day doing engineering sourcing. Like it was just like a huge amount of work. And I can think of other things that were that were like that. Like before we brought on more growth and demand gen resources, I was spending, you know, that amount of time per day, like prospecting, <laughs> yeah. which is like an experience that I never had because I never worked as a recruiter or as an SDR. But now I know how much work is involved in that. And it feels in the moment like you're spending a huge amount of time on one thing. But like, I don't know how else to produce results, <laughs> you know, in a, in, a, in a constrained period of time. So I think had I just known more about that, maybe I would have been able to balance that relative to other things like random GNA tests, which never seem, you know, very high priority, but are kind of high priority if you're talking about making sure your team has health insurance and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah, that that resonates. I think in our early days, spending time, I remember like recruiting for like, this is like almost three months of like the highest priority thing, a product designer. And mm -hmm. I was like, am I doing the right thing? I remember talking to advisors and just being like, I feel like I'm wasting so much time. They're like, no, 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 this is just what it takes. And yeah, I think that that shared expectation that some of those tasks are going to take that long and, and so much of your time that if you worked at another company before that had more than five or 10 people, like just wouldn't be the case. So that's a really good, really good takeaway. Yeah. Well, um, appreciate you taking the time. This was, uh, yeah, super informative. Hopefully everyone out there learns a few lessons from your experience. If folks wanted to get connected, learn more about yourself or assemble, what's the best way of, of them getting in touch? Find me on Twitter or LinkedIn, probably. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to, to share those links in, in the notes and everything and, and appreciate you taking the time. Cool. You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership, where we dive into building startups, signing customers, and scaling collaborative, repeatable sales processes. For more episodes like this, make sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.